Hey everyone, welcome back. This is Gospel Nate, aka Nathaniel. Welcome back to the show. I'm really happy you're all here. Uh, today we are going to be jumping straight into James chapter 4. We finished up James chapter 3 last week. We looked at the conclusion of meekness. We saw that meekness was submitted to an authority and empowered by that authority with no agenda of our own. This submission is necessary for gaining heavenly wisdom. Uh, doing everything for yourself and selfish gain is operating in the realm of demonic wisdom. And submission shows the real you with Jesus. Selfish motivation just shows the wounds in your heart and will never actually get to know the real you that way. It promotes a false identity. So while no one gets to know the real you, they do get to know your wounds quite well. They do get to know that false identity of who you believe yourself to be, which is contrary to who Jesus created you to be in the first place. Now, half the time, this isn't even about bad motivation. It's not like we're trying to make sure that everybody understands that I am filling the blank with something not good, but rather it's just a desire to be known. We're just so desperate half the time, and we feel that nobody really knows who we are, so we fight to promote whatever we do think we know about ourselves. But Jesus already knows us, because he created us to be who we are in our spirit. And once we have him in our spirit, we are exactly who we were supposed to be. Submission to him brings us out with him. We then show the difference between heavenly and earthly, or demonic wisdom. Basically, anything promoting flesh and death and selfishness was earthly and demonic. Because the rebellion in heaven was based out of a selfishness and a desire to gain for Lucifer's self. And as a result of his rebellion, he was cast out of heaven. So operating in those same principles and parameters is operating under demonic wisdom which, as we can all tell, is no wisdom at all. So basically, anything that is promoting flesh and death and selfishness, that's it. Anything promoting Jesus and the Father and life is heavenly. If it shows submission to Jesus without an agenda of your own, that is heavenly wisdom. So with that said, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for your time with us. We thank you for your word and the fact that you have invested in us more than we could ever have possibly asked for. Lord, that you do know who we are and who we're supposed to be. And you are more than willing and happy to bring us out with you into the light for others to see. So Lord, as we dive into this message, we just ask for your wisdom. We ask for your understanding. Lord, that the hearers of this message would be blessed and that they would walk away knowing better how to submit to you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's get started. James 4, verse 1, from the New King James Version. Where do wars and fighting come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? This verse is pretty straightforward. There's not a whole lot more to be read into it. Desires for pleasure is basically lust, and the word, Greek word for lust here is hedone. It's sensual desires. Not the good kind of lust. The good kind of lust was the fervent desire for you wanting something good for somebody else. Or just fervently wanting good, period. It had nothing to do with pleasing yourself or fulfilling your own selfish desires. This is the selfish kind that he's talking about here in verse 4. It serves only you and no one else. 
The next word we're going to look at is war, and war is stratumai. To make a military expedition to lead soldiers to war or to battle. Uh, spoken as of a commander, right? So it's a desire in the flesh, and it's leading a war against what your spirit wants. And this is where that duality nature comes in, where Peter is saying, what I want to do, I don't do, and the things I don't want to do, I do do. The flesh is what's po uh, promoting this desire for all the bad stuff, and your spirit is what's promoting the desires for the good stuff, and your soul is caught in the middle, and that's where you make your choice, because remember, your soul is where your mind, your will, and your emotions are, okay? And with that will, we choose who we're giving authority to. So we're either giving it to the spirit, or we're giving it to the flesh. And we are the only ones responsible for that choice. So we are the only ones who can be held responsible for the outcomes. So as your flesh leads a war against your spirit, it helps to understand that this word, stratumai, actually shares a, a root with another Greek word that means to lead into battle while directing troops. Your flesh wants things and it will fight to have them. So as we're going through this fight with our flesh and how it's warring against our spirit, we can tell what we've given authority to based on the fruit that we are producing. So who did you who did you give authority to in this situation? The flesh to obey it in its lusts or your spirit to obey it in submission to the Father? It's always going to be the fruits and the fruits will always tell us who you're listening to. Fruits of death or fruits of life. Moving on to our next verse, James 4, verse 2. You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight in war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. This lust is epithemeo, or active overpassion. It is something that you are doing right now. It's the verb form of it. It's active. It's happening at this moment. You lust, you deeply desire with so much passion, it's tangible to have. Now, the murder part is interesting. I don't know the specifics of the audience that James was talking to, so I don't know I don't know necessarily that they were out there killing each other or plotting murder against one another. What I do believe is that he was echoing the words of Jesus back in Matthew 5. And if you look at verse 21 through 24, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you, that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment, and whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council, but whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift before the altar and go your way. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Raka is a Greek word that basically means empty-headed or worthless one. It's not just a simple phrase, it's actually quite demeaning. You full means dull or stupid or morally heedless blockhead. Basically, we're calling people not really nice names. We're cursing them with a false identity. And the emotion that goes behind this has a judgment with it. 
Jesus took this from an external to an internal issue. Even if you are angry with someone, you are guilty of murder. Most people do not understand the concept of righteous anger. Most people approach anger from the perspective of judgment. They get angry and automatically there is a judgment that moves in behind it and you are just totally in the wrong right from the word go. And this is the reason why pastors typically say that only God can be angry and not sin. Because his anger is directed at the sin and the death that the sin is causing. It's not directed at the person to want harm and danger and judgment for them. But rather, it's directed at their sin. Hence the commandment to leave your gift at the altar and go to the one you have an issue with. If we jump ahead a chapter and go to Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 through 50, 14 through 15, sorry. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. If you do not forgive other people's sins or trespasses against you, you have set yourself up as a judge. And Jesus said that the measure with which you measure will be used on you. So whatever judgment you have passed on other people is the same kind of judgment that you are saying is acceptable to use on you. Therefore, if somebody comes against my awesomeness and I have determined that because of that, they are deserving of punishment, pain, and some sort of suffering, I have already determined in my heart that if I come against God's goodness, I am deserving of pain, punishment, and bad things. The measure with which I measure will be measured back to me again. Micah 6 verse 8. He has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Love mercy, walk humbly with your God. How many times have you gotten angry with someone and there wasn't just a little bit of pride back behind it? Nine out of ten times, when we become angry with somebody or begin to judge someone, there is somewhere in there a small root of pride where they have come against your identity. And because they have come against your identity, you are now angry with them and feel that they should be punished. So be careful with that anger, because 9 out of 10 times, you're going about it the wrong way. Okay, so I need to get back on point here, or I'm going to rabbit trail forever on you. James 4, verse 2. You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. The word cannot is interesting. It comes from two Greek words. Au, meaning no or nothing, and dunamai, meaning power. You have no power to obtain. It's really kind of funny because this whole verse is talking about what you do to obtain, and yet you have no power to obtain the thing that you're trying to gain in the first place. So all of these things in the flesh leave you powerless to obtain the things for yourself, and it's very much a Jeremiah 17, 5 through 6 passage. Uh, curses the man who trusts the man and makes flesh his strength, and so forth. Uh, you've been listening to this podcast now long enough. By all means, pause it, go look it up. Jeremiah 17, 
verses 5 and 6. That's the trusting in ourself and trusting in men to get things done part. The next part of the verse, you fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. Here's some dangerous food for thought. What would the Lord say if you asked for selfish things? Knowingly asked for selfish things. Like you knew what you were asking for was completely for yourself and had no other motivational benefits beyond just pleasing yourself. Odds are he's going to say no, right? We, we all pretty much know that answer is going to be the case. Even if we can quote unquote justify what we're asking for, if we're using it for our own selfishness, he's likely just not going to respond. We know better than to ask for things that are obviously selfish. At least I hope we do. But what about things we haven't really thought through completely? Things we want and believe will be good. See, we don't really stop and think about some of the things that we ask for, but if we really stop and think about it, we come to the realization that a lot of the times we're asking for things that either A, we don't need, or B, will not benefit us, and C, will not benefit others. All it will wind up doing is benefiting our flesh, our selfishness, and the Lord is not going to be behind that at all. Having said that, I'm not saying don't ask for things because, well, we're going to get into that right now. James 4, verse 3, you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Quick altering of this to read more like the Greek would say, you state your desires and do not receive because you ask for bad things that you may expand upon your self-pleasing bad desires. That says it all right there. And most of us do this very thing, right? Which takes me back to uh, the whole question of then why do we ask for anything, anything at all? Because God changes our hearts when we let him. And that's the catch. It's when we let him. And how does he do that? when we have submitted to his authority in our lives. Building a relationship with him is key to all of this. I can't stress it enough, relationship, relationship, relationship. Seriously, it's just about spending time in prayer with him. It's not necessarily asking for him. It's not even necessarily giving him praise for all of the great things he's done in our lives, The not the least of which is salvation. Though, having said that, you cannot and never will go wrong with giving him praise because he is worthy of our praise and he is excellent. But just spending time talking to him builds that relationship, and that's important. You build a relationship with him by speaking with him, just like you would with a friend. Nobody sees a person, meets them, introduces themselves, and then never talks to that person for the rest of their life, and then can justifiably walk around saying, this is my friend, Bob. I spoke to Bob once, and I've never spoken to Bob since, but Bob is my friend. Well, how do you know Bob is your friend? Does Bob know you? I don't think Bob does. Do you know Bob? I don't think you do. Maybe if you got to know Bob, you might not want to be friends with Bob. <laughs> but we don't know, because we didn't spend any time talking to him. Well, the same holds true with God. If you spend no time talking to him, then you have no relationship with him, and all you have is the salvation, and for all intents and purposes, almost a dead faith. Because you just have faith in this nebulous, I've been saved, and I have a 
salvation and I'm going to heaven, but I don't know who Jesus is. I don't know what Jesus wants in my life. I don't know if he wants good things for me or bad things for me. I don't know what his judgment looks like. Which, if you're a Christian, hopefully you're, you're getting the idea here that judgment's not good. So if you're not judging other people, you're not coming under judgment. And if you're not actively engaging in sin, then also you're not going to come under the consequences of those sins, which would be, honestly, just judgment from the world. It's judgment from breaking out of the predefined safety loop that God created in the first place when he designed things to work perfectly and correctly. And then we stepped out and said, oh, no, I think I know better than you do, God, so I'm going to do it my way. And then the car breaks. And then we think God's judging us, but he's not. It's just the result of sin and death. But anyways, let me get back on point here. You speak to him. You build a relationship and read the word. Don't rely on my podcast once a week to get the word to you. Go get your Bible or your smartphone app. Pick a place and start there. Or better still, ask Jesus where he wants you to start. As you build your relationship with Jesus, your heart begins to change. Your parents probably told you at some point, pick your friends wisely. And that was good advice. They said that because your friends will change you. They really will. Who you hang out with on a regular basis will have an influence on you. And just because you have good motivations or good desires or you're a good guy doesn't mean that the person you're hanging out with is going to jive with what you're doing. So you may not change them at all. But they sure might change you. And that's the problem. Because bad company corrupts good character. But likewise, good company builds good character. And Jesus is the best company you could ever possibly hope to have. So hanging around with him would continue to build good character. If you are submitted to what he is doing. He will begin to rub off on you. And it will change your heart you begin to want the things that he wants. When that happens, you begin to ask for good things. Now, we covered this back in episode three when we talked about asking for things without doubting, asking for wisdom without doubting. And Jesus wants good things for us, and he will not give us something that will promote death in our lives or in the lives of others. He will not give us our bad desires. That doesn't make him mean it means he's protecting us out of love. So let's move on to our next verse. James 4, verse 4. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Now, let's be clear here. James is not saying to live in seclusion. The word world is the Greek word cosmos. It means an apt and harmonious arrangement or constitution, order or government. He's talking about a system here that the world uses. The world promotes sin. It promotes death. That's just the world way of doing things, brings about death. Example is promoting yourself at the expense of other people for personal gain, putting others down for gain. Sex for gain, sex before marriage, sex as soon as you're engaged, lying to cover for yourself, lying to promote yourself, lying to hurt someone, coveting another person's possessions, spending piles of money to keep up with the Joneses, 
taking permissible mini breaks throughout the day at work because, come on, it's only an extra five minutes, right? Going out to get drunk, and the list goes on. This is the world. This is the world system. This is what James is warning about. Do not do like the world does to make friends with the world system and be acceptable. That acceptability is going to get you dead, and it will do it fast. It puts us at odds with God. He did not say, live in exclusion. He did not say, never watch a movie. He didn't say, don't listen to music that isn't a hymnal. He didn't say, don't play video games. He didn't say, don't have the internet. None of those things are bad in and of themselves. It is all in how you use them. Every one of them can be used to promote the world system. And in that, you can make friends with the world system. Silly example. You know, I can sit down and listen to the latest hip-hop rap album by somebody who's singing about all kinds of sexual defilement and perversion and cheating and lying and killing and drug abuse just to be in with a cool crowd of kids, I say kids in air quotes, and be acceptable to other people around me but to what cost? Garbage in, garbage out is the old saying. So you may not start out believing, liking, or promoting any of the stuff that you're listening to, but as time goes on and you inundate yourself with that message, it will take root in your emotions and it'll take root in your heart and eventually the world system is going to win out. So. Just a word of caution, choose your friends wisely, choose your music wisely, choose your video games wisely. Don't engage in a world system to promote yourself and to promote friendship. It's just not worth it. Rather, bring Jesus' system into the world and show people that there is a better way, a way that does not bring death, a way that brings integrity. And here's the other crazy part, is that as we engage in a world system and a world way of doing things, we're right back at the pre one of my previous podcasts where I talked about hardening your heart and returning to sin. As you engage in the world system way of doing things, you can increase the hardness of heart in certain areas of your life, thereby making it harder for the things of the Spirit to get into your soul, thereby limiting the gospel, thereby limiting Jesus' work in your life, thereby limiting his interaction with people around you. You have effectively blocked everything and brought death. And all that just by going along with the world's way of doing things. James 4, verse 5. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealousy. I like the Greek word for dwells, ketoikeo, to house permanently or reside. He doesn't stop living in us. We can't just block him with our will. He deeply desires with great jealousy to take us from sin and death to righteousness in life. Now, bear in mind what I'm saying here is that when you go out and you do the dumb, you engage in the world system. It's not like he just says, oh, oh snap, I can't live here. I can't deal with this. I'm out of here. He doesn't abandon us. 
but rather he will fight with us until the day we stop drawing breath to get us out of that system and out of that death because he doesn't want that for us. He wants the relationship with us. That was the whole purpose behind sending Jesus to die on the cross in the first place. It wasn't just to gain us salvation and then leave us here as orphans. It was to gain us relationship with him. I just can't stress enough how important this whole relationship thing is because apart from it, we have nothing going on. There's nothing good happening. But let's keep moving on. James 4, verse 6. But he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, stop and think about this for a minute. It's all too easy to take this verse and read it as something like, Surely you have pride. God will fight you. You better humble yourself, son, because God's going to resist you. Now, that's not an entirely wrong understanding, but you kind of miss the point with just that kind of attitude. God resists the proud because the things that they want will kill them. He's resisting them because he loves them. A proud person will not submit to God. A humble person will. A proud person thinks they know best. A humble person knows they don't know best. A proud person will act on a world system and their own strength. A humble person will ask Jesus for leading and submit to that leading. I'm not going to get into a teaching on false humility here. I will say that a truly humble person is a person submitted to authority with no agenda of their own. And I will say that a person who is running around in pride will have the anger issues. They will have the judgment issues. They will have the death. And God will resist that. Why? Because he doesn't want that for them. This is about protecting them from, their, from themselves, really. To keep them safe from themselves. And if he's not empowering them and he's not going along with what they want, they are now struggling and fighting on their own to gain what they want. They are back in Jeremiah 17, 5 through 6. And the hope is that they will run themselves ragged and burn themselves out so that they come back to where it was safe and back to where the life is and stay away from the death. See, it's not about the hate. It's not about judgment. It's not about being pushy. It's not about running around, finding people living falsely humble lives. It's about getting these people out of the thing that is killing them. And that's what it has always been about. That was the whole reason for Jesus coming here on top of the relationship was getting us out of the things that were killing us so that we could have the relationship. Having said that, let's do a quick recap here. James 4 verse 1 through 6. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desire for pleasures that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight in war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss, that you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously, but he gives more grace. Therefore he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So how do we live this out? How do we apply it? 
relationship, relationship, relationship. I cannot stress it enough. It will take getting to know the Lord. That means time spent in prayer, not asking for things, but just talking to him, sharing your thoughts with him. Remember, you're not supposed to be sitting there just talking at him. You're talking to him. Also read the word, get in it every single day. You have a chance make time. If there is no time, ask Jesus to show you something in the Bible today and always do your homework. Remember that you can misunderstand what you are reading. In my last message on meekness was a really good example of that, where I talked about how Jesus was saying that the Pharisees, Pharisees fathers were their earthly fathers. When in all actuality, he was referencing Satan as being their father. They were doing the things that they saw their demonic father doing, killing the prophets, warring against the prophets, shutting up the truth, living lives of, of hypocrisy and selfish gain. So context is king. Make sure you keep it in context. Read the passages that came before it and the passages that come after it so that you know what's going on and what they're talking about. Don't do like I did in that last message. And with that, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this message. Lord, we thank you for your word, the message that was in your word. Lord, we thank you that you have done all of this for the purpose of gaining relationship with us, that you have sacrificed everything and held nothing back to gain that, to gain us the freedom. And Lord, as we walk through our days and we deal with the different issues, as we learn what it means to ask for good things, we ask that you would show us that you would rub off on our hearts and give us the wisdom we need to ask correctly for right things, for good things. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.